0: episode is airing on Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you once again to talk about new books and also to share an author interview. Last month I was lucky enough to talk with Alexis Landau about her novel Those Who Are Saved. And this is a World War II story, but also a story of early Hollywood, of family ties, of sacrifice. It is just a luminous book and so, so insightful just to talk to Alexis and learn about what went into writing this for her, what inspired her to tell a World War II story. Just a really excellent interview. So I hope that you will stick around and listen to that, and then of course hang out with me for a little while longer while we talk about new books. I'm going to get into the housekeeping, and then we will move right on into the interview, and then talk about the new releases this week. But before I do any of that, I just want to say how much all of us All of the Book Beastresses really appreciate each and every one of you who reaches out to us, whether it's on Facebook or via email, whether it's that you participate in our like what are you reading discussions, or if you comment on individual podcasts, it just really means a lot to all of us that people interact and pay attention and benefit from our love of books. So I want to say hello to B who is a listener that I've been chatting with a little bit and giving some book recommendations too. If you would like book recommendations of your own, definitely feel free to reach out in any of the ways that we talk about in the housekeeping information. And now I'm done with all the introductory stuff. Let's get on with the podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am here today with another author interview. Today, I am chatting with author Alexis Landau, whose novel, Those Who Are Saved, was released in the U.S. um, today, which is February 23rd, the time of recording. Alexis, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great. You are very welcome. Can we start out
0: with you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to Those Who Are Saved?
1: Yeah. um... Well, it's, the book is about a mother searching for her lost daughter during World War II, um, spanning between 1940 and 1945, uh, set mainly in France and Los Angeles. And it's told from three points of view. We follow Vera and her husband, Max, who end up having to escape France at the last minute and leave behind their daughter, Lucy, who is for when the book starts. Um, And then we also get to follow her story. So she's the second point of view um, where she's moved to a convent and has to assume another identity and so on. Um, And then the third point of view is from Sasha's perspective and we get to dip into Hollywood filmmaking in the 40s as well as um, he goes off to war to fight Um, in Europe, and then later returns to LA and his filmmaking career, and that's when he meets um, Vera. So this is
0: a story of, of World War II, but also kind of a family and the bonds that are broken, the bonds that we try to keep throughout such trauma that people must have experienced during those times.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely about the those bonds and specifically the intensity uh and power of maternal love um as well as, you know, exile and assimilation and its discontents um and the, you know, how identity also changes um with where, you know, you have to go or, you know, end up um so yeah it it it's about a lot of those things but definitely the idea of these bonds that might feel that they're broken or irreparable but are you know sort of like the emotional current running running beneath um a lot of the plot.
0: So what prompted you to write a World War 2 story? <laughs>
1: um well I actually didn't want it just to write it you know a book about World War II. I was trying to avoid it. Um, There are so many of them. And, um, you know, I I definitely did not want to write about the Holocaust in a way. We've just seen so much of that already. And, you know, and I'm Jewish and I just didn't want, you know, I just don't want that necessarily. I mean, of course, you know, people need to know about it, but as necessarily like the only story or the defining story. Yes. It to be Jewish um, or even the experience of World War Two, because it has so many different facets to it. And and so I think as the what first drew me to this time period were actually like the exiles that came here and um, resettled in Los Angeles and tried to build new lives. Um, and so many of them were artists and composers and writers and directors. And that was really inspiring to me because, um a lot of the places where they lived was right where I grew up as a kid in LA and I wrongly sort of grew up thinking like oh this is like a cultural wasteland or like there's no you know like (laughs) all the important you know thinking happens on the east coast and I kind of had this weird um, I guess aversion to LA while at the same time um, I do love things about it and so when I stumbled upon these exiles who lived here and it was like for a pretty short time, because by the time the fifties came around, it, you know, it was the cold war and the red scare. And a lot of them were actually, um, on the blacklist and, and driven out. So it's, it's just like a very, in some ways fragile time period that where they it were, it was this epicenter, I guess you could say of culture from Europe. Um, and so, I think I felt like this kinship with these emigres and I wanted to explore their world more. And that kind of like opened up into this whole, you know, field of research. So it was really, it was really wonderful to be able to spend time researching and reading. And I would guess
0: sort of despite your wish like not to write a story necessarily about the war that in order to explore their lives more fully and like the things that brought them here you then had to delve into some of the the
1: things that would have happened to them during the war yeah exactly it was kind of like the elephant in the room obviously like I couldn't avoid it um and it it really undergirded so much of their experience of Los Angeles, like, you know, they they were of course haunted by all the darkness that they carried from Europe and all the loss and the death and, you know, but they were experiencing it from such a remove and it was very, it was just created a really odd dissonance for them. And so I think that, um, you know, tension was really interesting that you could be here and there could be sunshine and palm trees and like, you know, oranges, the size of your fist. while at the same time, knowing that, you know, your family was, you know, perishing. So, and I think that, yeah, it just, it just, it only intensifies the guilt of course, and it just creates a lot of um, problematic feelings to say the least. And I think Vera really struggles with that, um, whereas other refugees, maybe they didn't, you know, all of their family came over, you know, whatever. Right. Luckier. And so they had a little bit less, of course, they still felt immense guilt, but it was just not quite as intense. Like Thomas Mann, I think, managed to get his whole family out here in LA and his brother and his wife, you know, and they were all living here and he was doing really well professionally. And it was just like a different Experience, although of course he did feel intense guilt over just being German and what that meant. So, yes, and how people would view that, I imagine. Yeah, and just like the difference between taking responsibility versus, you know, guilt. And it's just, yeah, it, it was just so interesting just to read about that whole group of people who came all from Europe and all had different, you know, reasons for being here and different attitudes towards it. And sometimes they are just infighting and you know, alliances and hierarchies, like, you know, wherever you go. So it was interesting to like, look at that too. So
0: what kind of research did you have to do in order to bring this particular piece of history to life in a way that felt authentic to you?
1: Well, I mean, I really started with just casting a very wide net Um And it did help that a lot of the physical landmarks, at least, where these exiles lived were so close to where I grew up. And so I knew like the area and the topography and just like, you know, the natural details that sometimes are hard to get a grasp on, you know, like, what does the air feel like? What are the trees? like? Right. Um, But then in terms of like their actual lives and histories, another coincidence was that I teach at USC and they have at USC, this amazing exile studies um, collection in the library and a special collection where they have archives and old photos of all of these people basically, but centered around the Feuchwangers, who in my book, they're the Freudenbergers because I wanted to change their name, Mm -hmm. Um, just to protect their legacy, you know? I mean, I don't say (laughs) anything, but you know, like it's fiction and I wanna have the feeling of freedom um and so reading you know for example Martha Feuchwanger's oral history and looking at these photographs and talking to the head librarian there um Michaela Ullman, who is German and helped you know with some of the language uh barriers it was just it was such a rich process and I love research and that's it's a great thing but can also be you know, at a certain point you need to pull back and say, okay, I've had, I think I have enough, you know, um, because it can be also like a pro- procrastination <laughs> tool without realizing, yes. it, you know, like the sort of
0: constant, like looking for more information. Like, how do you know when you've reached the point of like, okay, now I need to
1: take what I've learned and form it into the story. Exactly. And so I think, It's actually scary, you know, that first sort of writing part where, you know, you want to see what seeped into you and how it's integrated and how it comes out. Um, And so, yeah, a lot of times it's easier just to keep reading and saying, well, I have this other book I really, you know, and it can really delay the process of writing. So, yeah.
0: So once you actually began the writing process, did you then have to go back and do additional research, or did you feel pretty confident in the stuff that you had gotten ahead of time?
1: Um, I felt confident with the um, with Vera's story and you know her history of you know living in France um, in the 30s and what that was like. Um, and the exiles resettling here as well was solidified pretty well. But what I did need to really research um more as I was writing was Hollywood in the 40s, um, and filmmaking and how the whole system worked, and you know, what the inside of Louis B. Mayer's office was like, like that was oh, all really to uh-huh. me. Um and I just wasn't like it wasn't a field that i was familiar with as much like film history and my husband is really familiar with it cuz he studied film and works in film now so in a, in a way he really helped me with that aspect of it um but that was much more like kind of like ongoing as i was writing and again the same thing happened or i was like oh and now you know this and i there's this other book about you know interviews with filmmakers during that time you know and so on And at a certain point, again, I was like, okay, I know what uh, generally how, you know, filming works and a camera and this, but, you know, for Sasha's character, um, that was something that I did need to kind of dip back into because it's not as familiar to me.
0: There is something so almost magical about like some of those early Hollywood stories, like from the twenties to about like the end of the forties. I just, I love books that look at Hollywood
1: during those, those years. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely with that. There's a sense of, you know, serendipity and magic and like sort of, spontaneity and and just how the these people all kind of came together like you know lb Mayer like met hedy lamar on a on the boat you know going back yes. to her, you know and offers her a contract on the spot and she's like yes you know um and just the way these deals like were done and they were very like it was usually verbal and people would just handshake and it's just so different now at least from what i'm seeing on the sidelines and um it was. It sounded like a lot more fun <laughs> to tell you the well, truth.
0: And I think you know the industry was so new then. Yeah. You know there weren't all of the like the huge
1: traditions and like sort of red tape that yeah. exists now. That's definitely true, and it had just more of a wild west quality, where like you were saying, it, it was more pioneering and yes, like. Um, even Sasha's agent, who is based on Charlie Feldman, uh was famous for being the first agent to kind of um subvert the studio system and package, you know, deals individually for writers or directors instead of having, you know, like the studio control and own them sort of thing. Um
0: yes, where it, they had so much control over like exactly. every part of the process
1: yeah and so he even a a side character like him was really exciting to research and you know think about and like just like what these people's lives were like um so yeah it is and I mean my mom is was born in LA and you know she was an extra for movies like in the 60s and that was much later period but um Her uncle was like a cinematographer, you know, like it's definitely like in the family, not in any like famous way, but just kind of like, you know, part of their experience in LA. So I think maybe that's part of what it, you know, like my, there's a photo, an old photograph I have of my grandmother with her two sister in laws at the Copacabana, you know, like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, like there's some connection, you know, it's not, Uh, So I think that also kind of drove me a little bit to write about it. So have you always known
0: that you wanted to write or is this something that kind of came to you like as you um, were doing like other work or kind of what was your journey like to getting this book published?
1: Um, I mean, I really didn't think that it was possible (laughs) to become a writer until I was in my, I mean, it's still so hard, you know, but I guess it took me a long time. I'm I'm a late bloomer. Um, so not until like, I don't know, my late twenties or early thirties did I even take myself seriously as something like, this is something I could do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, I wrote my first novel during my graduate school years, when I was getting a PhD in creative writing and literature, And that was great because it was, you know, you have so much support uh, from, you know, mentors and other students going through the same thing. And you would have these writing workshops and, you know, that was like seven years of writing workshops. Um, So I learned a lot in terms of just craft and tone and all of the things. And that made me feel sort of confident, but not really. I mean, writing is a constant, you know, evolving process and every is different. And it just, every time I start a new book, I don't know if I can do it. You know, it's, it's definitely not like, oh, let me just, you know, um, do this next thing. So that, you know, when I started Those Who Are Saved, it was definitely felt like, oh my God, I'm on my own. I'm not in a writing program. You know, I can't ask uh, Amy Bender, who was my mentor, like for help to read a draft. Like it was very like, this is it, this is the real, you know, test kind of. Um, And now I realize that continues to be the case, but um, (laughs) so it was like very, it was lonely, you know, and kind of scary, but I worked on it for a long time and my husband read a lot of drafts and, and helped uh, me. And, you know, finally it found its home and You know, working with my editor, Tara, was really amazing. And she had such a clear point of view and she was so um, motivated and um, just really invested in the project that it just felt, it did feel like I was really supported again, you know, like almost like being back in school where you, you know, talk about these things in such detail and you don't feel alone, you know, so it was.
0: Right. Because there are so many people that are at differing points in the process, yeah that you can you have a ton of, of support I would think
1: yeah exactly so um and you know it's a really big deal like I don't know I think it's dangerous sometimes to give your work to too many people to read or you know mm-hmm. I think that can be like too many cooks in the kitchen and I, I think you need to really choose you know who you trust and and just whose notes resonate the most with you. So that does, I mean, my husband is always my first reader and, you know, he's really honest and sometimes really brutal and it's great, you know. Um, And then from there, it's like, okay, your agent and then whoever your editor ends up to be. So, you know, I think it's just part of the process is just being alone with something and not having a lot of feedback and just having to work your way through it until you're ready to, to share it. So now that it's out there in the world, what do you see as kind of your next step? Well, <laughs> I <laughs> I do, I am, I have always thought of, of this book as the second one in a trilogy. Um, and so I am thinking of writing a third book about, it would sort of be like, you know, one of the characters would be Sasha and Vera's child Uh, Um, okay so was your first book then connected to this one as well it is connected um it's basically it's love story who's Sasha's father um Uh, okay it's like more backstory in a way and it's you know it stands alone and I really wanted each book to be able to stand alone obviously but um Yeah. And it's about, you know, Germany between the two world wars and like, you know, um, World War I and all of that and the shtetl and like all these, you know, where Leah came from. So that was the first book. And then this is the second. And then, yeah, the third I'm thinking of, which is a lot to take on, but, you know, the 60s and Vietnam and um, just, you know, even sort of like echoes of McCarthyism and even following Lucy and what happens to her, um, (laughs) like with second wave feminism, you know, it's just, there were so many things that came after that are really exciting. And I think have echoes to now in a big way. And um, yeah. And I I think, I don't know, again, like, I didn't really want to write a world war II book and I ended up writing one, but I've always been really interested in the sixties. Um, but it's like such a hard time to write about. And I realize that's probably why there aren't that many books set during that time, but I think, yeah, I would, that's, I'm thinking about that. Well,
0: and I think that is one of the best things about historical fiction is like looking at the parts of history that still exist today. And like the parts of history that were carried on, you know, up until that point and things that we don't necessarily know just, like ourselves you know we aren't taught all the ins and outs of of history like by reading world war ii fiction for example i have learned about so many other perspectives that just weren't taught in my high school or college history classes
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I just got this book called The Last Million um, about Europe's displaced persons from World War II to the Cold War. And it's like, amazing. And again, it's not something that we really hear a lot about. But people who were in DP camps in Europe for years after World War II ended, you know, right. And they didn't have anywhere to go. And they had no homeland to return to or their homes were, you know, destroyed. And, um they were trying to get into the US or into you know Israel or wherever and it's just it's really interesting or or escape you know the eastern bloc and so you know again that's like a whole other other time period and novel and you know so there's so many things um once you start digging that come up and again like you said that aren't necessarily you don't learn about them in, in school. Cause there's not really time, you know, I mean, they have to give you like the basic things, but they don't.
0: Right. So, so do you always kind of see yourself being a historical writer or do you ever think that you might um, try something that's more contemporary?
1: Um, well, that is a really interesting question that you asked that because I did just finish a book. I wrote it during quarantine period pandemic that is contemporary, but I that it, it still has these really strong historical roots that are actually rooted in like ancient Greco-Roman <laughs> times, um, oh. in terms of like the mystery religions and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it's about female rage and you know motherhood, which are pretty universal and timeless ideas. But it was really weird to write. In the contemporary, you know, because I didn't have to explain like how a light switch worked or something, you know. Right.
0: You did not. You oh. were just all like stuff that we all are living through.
1: Right. You know, or like cell phones or, you know, like Birkenstocks. Like, you know, everyone knows these things. Um, and so it kind of was a relief, but it also created an, its own kind of anxiety because I, you know, the writing style changed because of that. And um, it's just like more immediate and, and in some ways that's really freeing, but also, yeah, I think it's just a different, it's a different approach um, and it feels weird. It feels weird to write about contemporary because it's obviously like, it's much more personal in a way because we're all going through it right now and I'm going through it, you know, versus like, with history, you can kind of like hide behind your hair characters more easily. It's um, true. It's not experiences that you have had. Or not as directly.
0: Right. So I imagine that you can sort of feel a bit more distanced from it and not feel quite as like personally entwined with it.
1: Right. Or exposed or, you know, um, whereas like with Vera, she does. I mean, there's a lot of me in her in terms of her guilt and grief and anxiety and all these things that come up being a mom um but you know it's in a totally different time period she's wearing different clothes like it's just like easier to create that distance so
0: Mm -hmm. so can we expect to see your contemporary novel at some point or is that not something um, (laughs) that you're wanting to
1: publish or no I, I definitely want to publish it um it is yeah it's about yeah like I said I, female rage and especially motherhood. And, and I don't know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this um, especially during the pandemic. Like every article I read is like, women are on the verge of, you know, a collapse yes. um, and just, it's all heaped on our shoulders. And I'm not trying to say that fathers, you know, as a whole, don't do their part, but it really f- seems to be true from the research and the data that like all of this, you know, homeschooling and,
0: you know, yes. a
1: house and this is all falling on women's shoulders and even women who work. And so it just, it's starting to become like this sort of ready to snap situation. Um, and I definitely have experienced that. Um, and so the book is about that. And I think, yeah, I really hope that it you know, gets published or sees, you know, the light of day because I really, I really feel for all of the moms and women out there, you know, right now, it's just really hard.
0: Well, and this is such like an unprecedented time for so many of us. Like we don't, we don't have a lot to like look back on and say, oh, you know, this is how, like we did this before. Right. There's just so much of this that, you know, my grandmother um, is in her 80s and she, you know, has said like numerous times, like she's never seen anything like this, you know, in her lifetime. Yeah. And so I think for so many of us, we are just sort of adrift and like not really knowing how to make make it through certain situations.
1: No, definitely. And just the idea of having models in our mothers or grandmothers, like how they dealt with these challenges. Like we don't have that as much or or even without the pandemic, a lot of us don't, um, who worked or we want to change the way things are done. And it's, yes. No. Um, so I find that really, (laughs) really frustrating, you know, but then again, we have to like, just carve a new path forward. Um,
0: Right. And I think that's what so many people have been working to do this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And And
0: really try to figure out, you know, how we, how
1: we make it through. No, definitely. And sort of thinking, you know, what have we learned instead of just being like, oh, I'm so glad that's over. I'm vaccinated. You know, like, yes, that's not how I want to think about this. Um, And it's not like I want to become like some disastrous or, you know, expert in like prep, but it's also a real wake up call. And I, you know, connected to climate change connected to so many things. And I hope that just as a collective, we don't just kind of shrug it off and go back to like buying things we don't need, you know, like there's a lot to be learned. So, you know, but that'll, again, we'll only see that in a few years, you know, in a few years from now.
0: Right. Um, We can't, we can't know now. No, how that will be we can hope you know for what we want to see happen yeah but there's no way really to know how that will all play out
1: no Mm.
0: well I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your release day
1: to chat
0: with me about your book and a little bit about yourself can you let listeners know the best place to find you online
1: oh yeah um so I am on Instagram it's at alexis.landow and also my website, which is just alexislandow.com. So those are the two (laughs) places I try to avoid social media otherwise, but um, yeah. All right. Well, congratulations
0: on your publication. I wish you so much good luck with your future books. Um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully seeing your contemporary because it sounds just so so intriguing.
1: Oh well, thanks. You're welcome. And, and enjoy your release day. I will. I will try despite yes being in pandemic land. But yes. Well you know. <laughs> I know you just have to still make you know moments special somehow. So you do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. You take care. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay. So new books, because it is Tuesday, and that is what we do in Book Bistro land on Tuesdays. So I have one book to start out with. It's a book that Brooke talked about on our most anticipated releases of March episode. And this is Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas. Aidan Thomas is super excellent. I've loved Um, His debut novel, Cemetery Boys, is just so, so good. So I'm really looking forward to this reimagining of Peter Pan, and so is Brooke. So if you love retellings, you will want to pick this up as well. So let's talk about books that you haven't heard us talk about. Um, I'm going to start out with some fantasy, since Lost in the Never Woods is kind of a fantasy retelling. I figure we'll stay in that vein for a while. So I want to also bring your attention to a book that I did not know about until like two days ago. And in a way, it's kind of good that I didn't know because I've been just so excited ever since that it would have been a really long wait time for this book if if I had known ahead of time. So this is The Ladies of the Secret Circus, not Secret Service, but Secret Circus by Constance Sayers. Last year, she came out with a novel called A Witch in Time, which I haven't read, but my partner read and really, really loved. So this is kind of a family saga. It combines mystery and romance, and it spans from the Jazz Age in France all the way through to modern America, and it's set against the backdrop of this very mysterious circus. So I love circus books. I don't love circuses in real life, but I love them in books, and so I do want to check this out. Um, I will be grabbing it just as soon as it becomes available. This is The Ladies of the Secret Circus by Constance Sayers. We then have Deadly Claws. This is Witch in the Woods, book one, by Jenna St. James. It's paranormal women's fiction about a 40-year-old witch who is, getting a new job, kind of starting over, and she moves to this enchanted island that has all kinds of magical secrets, and she teams up with a gargoyle who is also a sheriff raising a daughter on his own. I really like paranormal women's fiction. I love the older heroines and kind of that, like, a new lease on life feel that we get from these types of books, And usually the world-building is super excellent. So this is another one that I'm really excited about. And it, once again, is Deadly Claws, Witch in the Woods, book one, by Jenna St. James. And moving on to some young adult fantasy, we have A Chorus Rises, A Song Below Water, book two, by Bethany C. Morrow. And this is a young adult fantasy series about sirens. And I know there are a few books out there about sirens, and I've just always been very much intrigued by the mythology that goes into the whole like siren story. So I'm super excited to pick up the first book in this series, but also to grab this one. So this is A Chorus Rises, A Song Below Water, book two by Bethany C. Morrow. We then have Flamefall. This is The Aurelian Cycle, book two, by Rosaria Munda. It is the sequel to 2020's Fireborn, which I just downloaded from my local library. Um, It had a really long hold list, so I'm very excited to finally be able to read it. And just in time for book two. So it's magic and intrigue and a little bit of romance kind of wrapped up in this Remarkable world building, from what I understand. So, this one is Flamefall, Aurelian Cycle, Book Two, and it's by Rosaria Munda. We also have Girls with Rebel Souls. This is the third book in the Girls with Sharp Sticks series by Suzanne Young. This is a fantasy novel, a a fantasy series, more correctly, about a group of girls who attend a really elite and prestigious boarding school, which turns out to be so much more and in some ways so much less impressive than it seems. Um, If you like this kind of like feminine dystopia with a little bit of magic thrown in, you'll want to check this one out. This is Girls with Rebel Souls, Girls with Sharp Sticks, book three by Suzanne Young. We also have a new series. This is um, The Unbroken, Magic of the Lost, book one, and it's by C.L. Clark. And the premise is that every empire needs a revolution. And in every revolution, there's at least one turncoat. So if you want to know more, check it out. It's The Unbroken, Magic of the Lost, book one, by C.L. Clarke. So let's move on to a couple of historical novels. Um, The first historical that I want to talk about is Half-Life by Gillian Cantor. And Gillian Cantor is known for writing these really lush and sweeping World War II stories, sometimes in a dual timeline format. So this book is also a dual timeline, but it focuses on one person. She has reimagined the life of Marie Curie, and she's done it using two timelines, one of which is kind of based on what we know of Curie's life, and the other looks at what would have happened if she had made different choices. If you love reading about women in science, you will probably want to pick this one up. It is Half-Life. By Jillian Cantor. We also have Eternal by Lisa Scottolini out this week, and this is her first historical. Lisa Scottolini is known for writing legal thrillers, um, also some psychological suspense, but generally she stays within like the mystery and thriller genre, aside from some nonfiction that she has co written with her daughter, uh, Francesca Sartella. But this Eternal is a family saga that's set mostly in Italy and starts just before war breaks out um, in like the late 1930s, early 1940s. So this is Eternal by Lisa Scottolini And I'm going to talk about some mysteries now, starting with a historical mystery, kind of a nice little, uh, oh over historical fiction, historical mysteries. If you love historical mysteries, you probably are familiar with the Maisie Dobbs series by Jacqueline Winspear. And the 16th book in that series is out this week. It's called The Consequences of Fear. And I am not at all current with this series. I've only read the first couple, and I do enjoy. Um, Maisie and kind of her, like, pluck and her ability to really get into the minds of all these people and solve these cases in a time when that's really not something that women were supposed to be doing, quote unquote. So they're really, really well plotted. Um, Amber, who you sometimes hear on Book Bistro, is a big fan of this series as well. So this is The Consequence of Fear. Maisie Dobbs, Number 16 by Jacqueline Winspear. We also have a young adult thriller. This is Fade Away by E.B. Vickers. And this is about a town full of secrets. And all of those secrets are pretty much laid there. When a high school basketball star disappears. And as people are digging into this disappearance, of course, they uncover all of these secrets. So it's Fade Away by E.B. Vickers. Peter Swanson has a new book out. This is Every Vow You Break, and it is about a fairy tale romance that turns deadly. Peter Swanson is known for writing these really twisty mysteries and thrillers that remind me a lot of like Alfred Hitchcock movies. Not necessarily because of the plot, like the the storyline, but just in the way that the books, like the, the story kind of weaves in and out when you don't really know what's real, what's imagined. You have a really hard time knowing who to trust. So if that sounds like something that would appeal to you, you might want to give Peter Swanson a try. And this book is called Every Vow You Break. Alma Katsu, who I really enjoyed talking to last year, is releasing a spy thriller. It's called Red Widow, and I am normally not a fan of, like, contemporary spy fiction. I love historical spies, like in World War II or in the Napoleonic Wars in England and France in the early part of the 19th century. But just to read a book about spies, I usually am not drawn to those. But Katsu is just so, so fun and knowledgeable to talk to and just to really understand, like, all the things that she knows about working for the government, because apparently she used to do that. And so if she writes a spy thriller, which she has done, you know that it is going to be just very on point and believable. So I will check this one out. It is Red Widow by Almakatsu. And Stacey would be very angry with me if I didn't mention this next book. This is the 2021 release by Dean Kuntz. It's called The Other Emily. And this is a book that I can't really classify. Like maybe it's a mystery, maybe it's horror, maybe it's fantasy, I don't know. But it is a story of lost love and second chances that don't seem very possible and of promises that are utterly terrifying. I don't know more than that. If you would like to know more than that, you'll have to pick it up. It is The Other Emily, and it is by Dean Kuntz. Okay. Earlier in March, I was fortunate enough to read the latest novel by Jessica Strasser, and this is a million reasons why it is heart-wrenching. I talked about it on our Women's Fiction episode a couple of weeks ago, So you can definitely refer back there and hear more about it. It is so, so stunning. Um, It's women's fiction about sisters. It has a very strong mental health component. It talks about family secrets and how we define families. Um, It made me cry. It's just so, so good. So once again, it is A Million Reasons Why, and it's by Jessica Strasser. And we have Return to Me. This is Katama Bay, number one, by Katie Winters. And this is about a Manhattan socialite whose life has kind of fallen apart around her. And as a result, she returns home to Martha's Vineyard to live with her mother, with whom she hasn't spoken in like 20 years. And now she's trying to put her life back together in this place where she left under not the greatest of circumstances. It looks like one of those books that walks that line I love so much between romance and women's fiction. So it looks like something I will love. And I'm guessing that Stacy and Sarah and Natalia and maybe Brooke will probably pick this up too. It is Return to Me, Katama Bay, book one by Katie Winters. And last up for me... Today is call it horses. this is by Jesse Van Eeren and it's set in West Virginia at the end of the 1980s it's about three women who embark on a road trip that none of them could have ever imagined I don't know more than that it reminds me a little bit from some of the um, like comments I've heard about it of Sugar Run by Misha Marin, but I don't know if that's an accurate comparison or if it's just something that seemed accurate to me when I was doing a quick uh, sweep looking for books for this episode. But it is Call It Horses, and it is by Jesse Van Ehren. And that is all for me this week. I hope you are all doing well, staying safe, reading lots of great books.